Welcome to episode 13 of Breaking the Ice. I'm Connor Oak, alongside Arctic 360's president and CEO, Jessica Shadian, and we are your co-hosts. In an earlier episode of our show, we spoke to a representative of the E8 Borealis Vehicle Test Track in Northern Norway. There, the Norwegian Public Roads Administration has opened up 50 kilometers of roads to vehicle manufacturers, allowing them to test autonomous vehicle handling in winter conditions. This week, we wanted to know if Canada is doing anything similar. In fact, last year, former Federal Minister of Innovation, Science and Industry, Navdeep Baines, announced a new initiative for Canada called Minds to Mobility. This would see Canada leading the world in autonomous and electric vehicle technology at every stage in the value chain, from the minerals in the ground, to technology development, to final assembly. But where is the North's place in this plan? To answer that question, we were pleased to welcome Andrew Gattas to our show. Andrew is the director of the Critical Minerals Task Force at Natural Resources Canada. Previously, his roles have included periods as an analyst at the Privy Council Office for Economic and Regional Development Policy, and as a policy advisor to the Assistant Deputy Minister while he was at Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada. Now, let's get to our show. Welcome everyone to this week's um, Arctic 360 Breaking the Ice podcast episode. Um, this week we have Andrew Gaddis, who's with us, who's from the, he's the director of the Critical Minerals Task Force at Natural Resources Canada. And we're very pleased to have him. I'm Jessica Shadian. I'm the president and CEO of Arctic 360. I'm gonna be one of your hosts. And our other host today is Connor Oak, who's our Monk uh, Summer Fellow with us. So with that, I think we can kick things off and, um, and I'll hand it over to Connor first. Well, thanks for being here today, Andrew. Um, our first question is just about you yourself. Um, so I'm wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about your own personal professional background. Yeah, sure thing. So as mentioned, I'm currently the director of the Critical Minerals Task Force, uh, which is part of the lands and minerals sector of Natural Resources Canada. I've been in this role roughly for a year and a bit. Um, and prior to uh, joining uh, Natural Resources Canada, I was at the, the Privy Council office um working on uh a myriad of things related to trade uh defense procurement uh, i was running the operations cabinet committee for a little bit uh doing some work on uh, foreign direct investment uh, as well as um, leading some work on uh, uh transition uh during the previous election as well and prior to joining the Privy Council, I worked at uh, Agriculture Canada for a number of years. That's where I got my start. So the ag sector is uh, near and dear to my heart. Um, and I worked on a number of uh, trade related things in, uh, in the while there. So uh, about uh, just shy of 14 years of experience in the, the federal government. Thank you. And so now you work on the Critical Minerals Task Force. Um, so what is that? What are you responsible for there? And what's your role on the team? Right, so um, the Critical Minerals Task Force was created in fall of 2019 uh, to work on a whole of government approach uh, in terms of how we coordinate efforts for various federal departments. And it's really underpinning the objective of supporting the development of kind of vertically integrated critical mineral value chains in Canada. And so what that means is really, this is the start of uh, supply chains. Uh, you know, across the board, it's really the the materials uh, that go into everything on the clean technology side or advanced manufacturing. 
And so as this issue became more and more important, uh, the task force was created to kind of bring the various players uh, um, within the federal government together, but also with provinces, territories, and industry to ensure we had a bit of a cohesive strategy uh, for Canada. The other component to this, uh, obviously there's a large domestic aspect, but there's also an international dimension to it. And one of the big prompts for the uh, creation of the task force was the negotiation and development of a joint action plan with the United States on critical minerals. Um, this was agreed to uh, with former President Trump and Prime Minister Trudeau. And um, the task force leads that international work, but it also is involved in international engagement with other countries, including the European Union, uh, the United Kingdom, and Japan, as well as Australia. And we also engage in some multilateral fora because uh, there's this increased recognition globally that you know, critical minerals and a whole are so important uh, to clean technology and the green economic transition. Um, there needs to be a kind of an alignment of, of views in terms of uh, the geopolitical context which uh, we're dealing with. And so your role in the team would be to do what? Uh, so I'm the director of the group. Um, you know, it's kind of multifaceted. There's that kind of operational side of it. Uh, in terms of the day-to-day -day, uh, organization and team, making sure they have everything they need. Um, and then the other side is really that strategic policy role uh, and coordination and engagement um, uh, with a whole myriad of players. So we're developing ideas, we're engaging with uh, you know, domestic stakeholders, international stakeholders, trying to come up with you know, a bit of the uh, Canada's plan within this space and advancing it and implementing it. So leading that, uh, leading the charge in that regard. Okay, great. Um, so the core of the conversation we're hoping to have today is about the Mines to Mobility Initiative. So this was uh, announced last year by the former Federal Minister of Innovation, Science and Industry, who was Navdeep Bains at the time. And so what exactly is Mines to Mobility and what is Canada's advantage? Right. So I think I, I kind of alluded to it. Natural Resources Canada and specifically the work of the task force is really focused on what we call the upstream and midstream component of, of a, the value chain. So that's kind of the mine, the exploration of a, of a resource, the mining of that resource, the processing of it into a usable material. And then we kind of hand it over to our colleagues at Innovation Science and, uh, and, and Industry and Economic Development to kind of for the, the take those inputs and put them into the actual kind of technology and manufacturing. And that's kind of what we refer to as more downstream. Um, so we work hand in glove with them. And I think that the, the tagline, Minds to Mobility is kind of emblematic of the approach we're taking. It's, it's really that, that full value chain. So global momentum towards a clean energy future has really accelerated the deployment of sustainable energy technologies that minimize kind of greenhouse gases um, that are reflective of kind of better social practices in terms of natural resource developments uh, as well as kind of the good governance uh, components all of that are make up ESG. And so one of the fastest growing industries supporting this overall transition is the production of advanced batteries for electric vehicles, as well as stationary, stationary energy storage solutions. Uh, and this also kind of includes, you know, um, uh, 
you know, traction motors. Um, what do you need to support that? Uh, as well as the light weighting of materials because you know batteries are uh, these advanced batteries are quite heavy um, and so you want to maximize efficiency you need to think about ways of light weighting parts so maybe you need specialty alloys so when it comes to the shift to the low carbon transition model the mines mobility approaches using two of canada's main competitive advantages are natural resources um, and deposits and our processing capacity um, as well as our advanced manufacturing skills uh, to maximize them and make those connections along the chain. Underpinning all of that is also our, our leadership on, uh, in innovation and on the science and, and R&D front in terms of you know, coming up with new processes and technologies to drive that work forward as well. So we're quite fortunate in that we're the only nation in the Western hemisphere with abundant an abundance of minerals and metals that are needed to go into these clean techs. Uh, so you know, batteries is, is the prime example that always comes up. Canada has cobalt, graphite, lithium, and nickel. You need all of those things to make next generation electric uh, batteries that, you know, regardless of the projections that you see, uh, will kind of dominate the market over the coming decade. Um, and so uh, that's obviously a, a key component, but there are also other opportunities at each stage of that chain uh, that Canada has competitive opportunities on, and like, like you see in Ontario with um, uh, auto, auto manufacturing. So the overall objective for us is to uh, unlo fully unlock the minerals and metals potential to build the battery, the electric vehicle, and the overall supply chain uh, to support that and um, kind of you know, fill the gaps along the chain as we try to, to get into that uh, wider clean energy transition. And um, with respect to the North in particular, it's fully integrated in the mines mobility approach as it is home to most of the mines uh, that have these resources. Um, and before they can kind of uh, move further south, maybe for further manufacturing, refinement, and ultimately an assembly. So we're seeing some of that connection point uh, between uh, uh, regionally, in terms of mines in the north, feeding, um, uh, smelting, and refining, and manufacturing capacity uh, a little farther south, both in Canada and potentially uh, in the U.S. as well. Bouncing off the the north, and you you've you've kind of jumped started our our next our next question um, that the north does have a lot of the rare earth minerals that um, that Canada um, would like to produce. So you know, we, and actually, it's the first rare earth mineral uh, mine that is now producing is the Cheetah Rare Earth Project, and it is in the north um, in the Northwest Territories, and so it's not. What's interesting about it, it's not only in the north, but it's also indigenous led. Um, and so we have Daechon Cho Corporation. They're now like the first indigenous contract miners um, to be mining on their own traditional territory. And so you've alluded to the fact that you like um, and you envision the north playing a role in the whole mine stimulability um, initiative. And maybe if you can explain a little bit further in more detail about how then you see them playing a role on the whole part of the supply chain uh, with beyond beyond extraction. And do we have any, you know, production, um, sorry, like processing going on besides extraction and, and, and manufacturing or where you envision um, the north to play and to go in this direction? Sure. Yeah. So I think uh, I think the not the natural project is is it's it's 
fantastic because there's so many components to it or that are exactly what we kind of want to strive to achieve uh, within the critical mineral space and, and mining more broadly within Canada. So just a bit of context around rare earths, um, because this is obviously a key critical mineral and one um, that's reflective of a bit of the challenges uh, associated with developing some of these supply chains in Canada, but also generally in the north. Um, so Canada actually does have the fourth largest reserves of rare earth elements in the world. Uh, but this is the first, the first site that it's actually going to mine, mine them. Um, the challenge around rare earths is that traditionally they're not economically concentrated. And so they're very difficult to extract and to pull a form out that we can use because there's also, also multiple stages of processing required before you get those minerals into a state that it can turn, be turned into a magnet. And then that magnet ultimately goes into a whole host of technologies, wind turbines, uh, electric vehicles. I mean, though, those are just a few, uh, but a few of the examples. Rare earths have average, you know, I won't get into some of the, the science around it, but they're common, they're almost like commonly used in industrial metals such as nickel and zinc. But the difference is that in nature, rare earths do not exist as an individual native metal. Uh, and that's because of their reactivity. And so they instead occur together in numerous minerals and either minor or major con constituents. Um, so the Natural Lateral Rare Earth Project is located at Thor Lake uh, near Yellowknife. The property is a rich in rare metal uh, resources uh, with the potential for economic recovery of what we call a heavy rare earth element. And that, those are really important for those permanent magnets among other things. And so Cheetah um, had a great vision in terms of uh, aiming to be the first Canadian commercial production and an exporter of mixed rare earth uh, precipitate. Uh, this is at a, like um, an earlier stage, so a pre-separation stage. Um, um, again, there's multiple steps along this to actually get into that usable broad product. And so they're concentrating the rare earth ore in the Northwest territories and processing the concentrate in Saskatchewan through a partnership with the Saskatchewan Research Council. And so again, you're seeing a bit of that um, regional supply chain developing uh, with this project uh, being a bit of an example. And, and so you, know, you mentioned the other kind of intangible that's associated with is the, the Indigenous partnership um, that the Canadian mining sector has actually um, been really really good at and in, in, in encouraging those types of um, collaborations. Um, and I think we're just only gonna start to see more of that, uh, particular, particularly in, uh, in the North as projects uh, start to come online. And so Cheetah had received you know, letters of support from local indigenous groups in developing its project. I think that was key in its advancement. Uh, as you mentioned, the Denocho Nahani Construction Corporation, owned by the, the Yellowknife Dene First Nation, signed the agreement to run the mining operations on the project in their own traditional territory. And so that's kind of, a, I think, another fundamental that has allowed the project to move forward. And it provides an example kind of to the world that Canada is able to advance um, natural resources projects and do it in such a way that's collaborative and in partnership with with uh, First Nations, so that's the 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 S in the ESG equation, and so that's it's really fundamental um, to being able to do that. And uh, we were able to support this project as a federal government through um, 
CANNOR, which is our uh, regional development agency for the north, invested about $5 million in the project so that uh, the entity could purchase a, a new ore sorter, um, which will allow the mine to ramp up its operations. Uh, and so um, support for initiatives like this are essential to the kind of overall economic recovery from COVID, diversification, and the long-term economic sustainability of Northern and uh, Indigenous communities. And that's where we see um, this as a great opportunity because obviously mine sites are often located in rural remote, remote northern regions. And um, there's this great opportunity for you know new models to kind of come to the fore in terms of uh, Indigenous uh, participation and, and partnership um, in terms of the development of those, uh, those resources. And so, I mean, I think the part of the challenges in the north um, Obviously, it's quite vast. There's an untapped uh, potential there. Um, so exploration work to def define those deposits, find the ones that are most economically viable, ensure that uh, you know if that there is resource extraction, that there is going to be uh, mitigate the environmental impacts to the extent possible. That that's one particular challenge. And there's obviously an infrastructure challenge as well, um, just in terms of road access or access to clean power, um, uh, which, you know, can impact obviously the economics of the project, but also, um, you know, we want to make sure that we're, we're trying to produce and source these minerals in the, in the most environmentally friendly way and with the lowest carbon uh, footprint. So there's kind of additional work to do to, you know, tap the full potential of the North in many respects. So one of the, uh, one of the themes that you were just talking about, and I hope we can just dive a little bit deeper into that is indigenous involvement in exploration of mining. Um, so one of, you've, you've talked about why it's important to have these projects be indigenous led, but what do you see as the major barriers to further indigenous involvement in natural resources projects and how can those barriers be addressed? Right. Uh, so that's, that's a challenge, challenging one. Um, so I think uh, it's important to note that indigenous owned businesses have for many years been providing resource industries with both uh, kind of labor and services. And now we're starting to see, uh, and hopefully it accelerates, more indigenous peoples are moving into ownership positions and resource development. I think like that's that's really where we want to get to, to kind of changes the nature of, of the engagement and the involvement. And so indigenous ownership, investment, and participation in the resource industry are, are really essential to the success of the sector. And it's also a means of economic uh, reconciliation uh, as well. Um, so I think uh, the Nachalacho example we just talked about is a great example to collaboration um, and engagement. And this, we have a Canadian minerals and metals plan. That's a bit of a broader framework uh, on mining writ large. Uh, it's a pan-Canadian effort. And, and through that, it really boils down to access to capital is critical for Indigenous communities because getting a mine up and running um, is, a, is a not only a, a, is a capital intensive uh, endeavor and uh, one that can take a number of years in the way the, the, the process typically works is that uh, companies entering in that space may not actually be able to get revenue from the resource until they're in full production, which could take, you know, a number of years. Um, so the capital costs are quite high and they can, you know, you need to persist through, uh, to, uh, to a degree to kind of get some of those projects over the hump and into production.
There's also that infrastructure aspect of, that I noted as well. Uh, just, uh, you know, amount of energy needed to kind of run, run the mine site can be quite large. Uh, and if, if it's, uh, if the road access isn't there, if the infrastructure isn't there, then that can be a, a, a barrier to getting the, the projects off the ground um, and, uh, and moving. So I think uh, through all this, indigenous communities are, we're starting to, are starting to seek new funding opportunities to start businesses and capitalize on economic opportunities brought by mineral resource development. Um, and so um, I think capacity building is, is kind of key to this, uh, to kind of not only help build up the capacity in terms of the community to run the mines, but there's also you know skills, training and strategies policies and protocols uh, to institute more meaningful participation in, in the stewardship of the land and also kind of managing the environmental um, uh, effects of a mine site. I mean, um, just you can mitigate it, but there, there will be some uh, negative impacts. So um, I think building up capacity to manage all the multifaceted aspects of a, of a mining project is, is kind of quite key in addition to the, uh, the financials. The, the direct financial support that's needed to bring these into production is given them how heavy, uh, how high the capital costs are associated with them. Returning to the Rare Earth Project in the Northwest Territories, I thought one of the most interesting aspects of that project is the fact that they're using a new sorter technology, which is based around sensors, and that's able to eliminate mine tailings. And that really speaks to one thing that we've been trying to emphasize all through this podcast series, Breaking the Ice is of applying these new technologies, whether developed in Canada or developed elsewhere in the North to solve the unique problems of the North. Um, and so one good example of that is recently, we spoke to a team in Norway uh, who's built a vehicle test track in their Arctic region. And what they've done is they're, used, they're taking advantage of the Arctic's cold temperatures and extreme weather conditions in order to test essentially autonomous and electric vehicles and how they perform in the most difficult conditions. And this has helped them partner with all the world's major EV producers to undertake research and innovation, um, including improving battery life. And so this may go beyond strictly critical minerals, um, but do you see the potential to do something similar to this in Canada, which is using our North and its competitive advantage for our EV sector and developing um, those sorts of technologies like ba uh, longer battery life or autonomous vehicles driving in, in difficult weather conditions? Is there the potential to do that in Canada's north as well? Totally, totally. Um, so I think cold weather performance is a concern for many electric vehicle uh, consumers, obviously in Canada, where cold weather can affect uh, vehicle range. I think vehicle range is, you know, sometimes is often cited as a, you know, some of the trepidation around moving into the, the EV market for many consumers. Um, so I think that that's a, obviously a key consideration uh, around uh, kind of correcting that view. So the government of Canada is currently collaborating with territorial governments uh, in the electric vehicle infrastructure demonstration projects. And so, for example, the, uh, the government teamed up with the government of Yukon to fund a project called Demonstrating EV Range and Charging Efficiency in a Very Cold Climate. Long, long title, but uh, you kind of get all the uh, all the aspects of, of, of the project through the through that, and it's really aimed at accelerating electric vehicle ownership in the Yukon by demonstrating the all-season performance of public charging stations. 
Um, so with this project, Canada is providing independent data and EV user experiences in a cool climate, as well as proof of faster charging functionality. And in turn, this will encourage other communities to move forward with electrification of transportation and expand the infrastructure in the north. Because uh, you know, it's one thing to uh, obviously uh, you know, have the EV, but you also need the, that infrastructure around to support the continual charging and, uh, of it. So the Canadian mining sector is also a leader in innovative EV applications. So in Ontario, the board of mine uh, is of the Future Energy Innovations Project. It's demonstrating the technical and economic feasibility of three energy innovations in underground mining sector. So this is a full fleet of battery, battery electric vehicles, a fully automated ventilation on demand system in an underground mine without a surface compressor plant. All this to say is um, the most significant benefit of this project is the elimination of 1.6 million liters of diesel fuel per year. And this in combination with reduced energy consumption for ventilation and heating would result in a 70% reduction in GHG emissions uh, over kind of the baseline of the operations. So you kind of take all of that uh, together. Um, so, uh, you know, and it's not just kind of the, the EV components to it, the battery, it's also the mining side of it. And you, when you put it all together, you can kind of come up with solutions that re reduce the GHG overall, um, which is a benefit and kind of, uh, kind of show the innovation that's taking place uh, within the sector. And it's kind of bleeding out into some, some different areas. There's also a lot of work going on on what we call advanced batteries for energy storage. So the most commonly cited example is the vanadium redox batteries, which this one, this technology in particular uh, is kind of viewed as uh, having great potential because those, those, those types of batteries do really well in cold, uh, cold, uh, cold climates um, in terms of still being able to you know, store uh, large amounts of energy in an efficient manner. So there's quite a bit of you know, R&D and innovation taking place in that space. Um, which has, you know, these need to be tested in uh, cold climates. And so it creates some further opportunities uh, in the north uh, to be maybe involved in some of the R&D and innovation work that might not have necessarily kind of been traditionally uh, been the, the case. So uh, lots of potential there to, one, to, to do some of the innovation, but also to deploy some of the uh, innovative technologies uh, that are uh, relatable. Um, maybe I'll, I'll follow up on some of what you're just talking about here, but can you please go back and clarify really quickly, you were talking about um, the thing that was going to offset the diesel, and it was, was with the EV cars, but then it sounded like you were saying in a mine, but can you clarify what that project? Yeah, so essentially, you know, there's, there's efforts underway to, you know, not only, like we're moving in towards the electrification of, uh, you know, uh, passenger cars, but there's also an electrification of all the uh, the mining fleet that supports our mine site. And so these are essentially a full fleet of battery electric vehicles, but for catered to the mining sector um, that would be deployed in this mine um, that will significantly reduce uh, diesel consumption. And a lot of the um, mine sites in the north in particular run on diesel because they're not connected to the, the grid. So as you kind of expand uh, the infrastructure and then you find these other solutions, you can reduce the overall consumption of diesel overall and kind of green the mine in a, in a, in a, in a different way. So there's that connection to EVs, but it's a, 
it's expanding it out and kind of the view into you know these other other areas it's, it's still an electric vehicle it's just kind of not the you know the passenger uh version of it but uh still another unique opportunity yeah so this is all really interesting I and mean, we have i feel like there's a lot of these you know pieces of a puzzle um you know and, and you've just you know stated that the the north has a lot of these rare earths we see the first one coming on you know into into action in in the north you know with the in the minds to mobility initiative then is there any sort of strategy that was going to is going to try to connect these dots um, because we're talking a lot about what we're talking about is still the infrastructure challenge um, and also I think the need to you know bring let's say highly advanced engineers uh, R&D researchers to the north to do this kind of work I'm going to try to connect a bunch of things some of the one of the things you alluded to was the um, the project with the Yukon um, and I don't know if that uh, this report is a follow-up or if this is the same report, but I did read a, re a report put out by the Yukon that was talking about because battery life in cold weather is problematic, that at this point, there's um, not a lot of opportunity for the EV in, um, you know, in industry in, in the Yukon. Um, and so I'm just, I'm, you know, and I'm thinking, and you're talking about there's, you know, these kind of advanced batteries for storage, um, and, and this is an opportunity for research and development. And I'm just curious as to where this research is taking place and, 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 and if it's something that there's an opportunity for um, in, in the North. And so, you know, how do we, so how do we basically then address the infrastructure gap? Um, how do we, how do we, you know, bring in highly skilled engineers into the region? Currently, I would say that a lot of you know, and I think this is speaking to getting this Minds Mobility Initiative up and off the ground. A lot of the innovation hubs currently as they exist are still in the southern part of Canada. Um, and so, you know, and, and what I've been noticing through our podcast and talking to people is it's been really interesting how some of um, our Arctic neighbors have actually kind of use the north as their competitive advantage. And so they say, hey, it's super cold and windy and you know, stormy, let's put a test track here. Um, and I've seen that, you know, the only announcement I've seen is one that's going to be put in Ottawa. Um, the, um, you know, the Greenland, we talked to the Greenland Mining School and they have these partnerships with other universities um, around the world. And so it's helping to bring really good um, professors to teach in, in this program. Um, so I'm just trying to think about how how we can, you know, how, what, what's, is there a plan to try to connect like a strategy to connect the infrastructure gap to the Mines and Mobility Initiative to help basically propel this economy and not just a Northern economy, but obviously it'd be for the whole of Canada. And then how can we better attract highly skilled labor? If we attract highly skilled labor to the North, then also it's gonna help grow the capacity of the North's current workforce, right? Because it's, it's learning from each other. And so what, what are some things that maybe we are doing and we could be doing to help help with this? Yeah, so um, I'm, I'm kind of gonna go out maybe a bit of my area of, uh, of focus and uh, kind of general expertise. So we are working on a bit of a, a broader strategy that brings um, kind of multiple aspects of this uh, of, of the file together. 
Um, I think, you know, on critical minerals, um, and maybe it's similar for, for other sectors, but other commodities just in general, you know, there's a whole host of problem or challenges, I shouldn't say problems, but challenges to overcome. Um, whether it's kind of, you know, technological processes that you need given a specific uh, ore type, uh, infrastructure, um, there's, you know, the market dynamics because of supply concentration in certain countries uh, that essentially can crowd out any new projects. So there's a lot of kind of things to work through. But we're working towards a, putting out a, you know, a critical mineral strategy for Canada that, you know, articulates uh, an approach that would address all the, the challenges along the chain. And so um, I think in thinking about that strategy and potential avenues, so uh, exploration, for example, exploration is key for uh, developing potential sites within the north. So more support needs to be provided um, in that regard. So we have the Geological Survey of Canada that's doing a lot of geoscience work uh, uh, across Canada, but with a particular focus in the north uh, in partnership with uh, uh, territorial governments. And so that provides one avenue to get more, build up the knowledge base and skill set and um, and, and engineers, the, the geo, the geoscientists, the geologists be more active than that kind of also, also has spillover effects in terms of services that they require within the region. So that helps create a bit of a, an economy and so on. I think there's a really good recognition of the opportunity and the, the infrastructure gap is large. It's not an easy one to correct overnight. Um, but that that this is you know really well understood as a huge gap. So anything that we need to do in terms of developing projects needs to kind of take that as a, another facet uh, into consideration. So um, you know maybe one site may be more economically viable because it's would be easier to connect it to a grid, and then there might be spillover benefits for the community to access some of the the infrastructure associated with that. And so I think there needs to be a little bit more of the kind of in consortium looking at the planning uh, of specific projects. And I think the North is emblematic of how we need to approach that. And so that's another component in terms of, of the policy view that we're trying to incorporate into the strategy to make sure we're not missing, you know, uh, key aspects of it. Because ultimately, uh, if we're missing, you know, uh, one component, then the viability of these projects over the long term and the benefits back to communities won't, won't be there unless they get off the ground. And I think as that development occurs, then you will hopefully start to see a bit more, uh, uh, you know, spillover in terms of other opportunities, whether it's in the innovation space, whether it's the attraction of a, you know, more skilled uh, workers um, in some respects in terms of, you know, engineering and, and whatnot. Um, um, so I think that's how we're, if we put all these pieces together and then deploy and implement, uh, bringing together a bunch of different, uh, uh, at least federal entities, but also provincial, territorial, and, and in industry and indigenous, then we can kind of come up with a, a model that allows these things to kind of grow and expand. And then that's how we'll see uh, additional additional development occurring. I think um, there might be, could there be an opportunity where could it make sense to have some sort of research center or research institute focused on kind of the whole EV space that is in the North to kind of help do some of these innovative groundbreaking 
you know, uh, research in this in this area. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I think you brought up the the, the points about cold weather are, um, are 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 bang on, and just in terms of you know, that's uh, that's actually a, you know an advantage to test uh, the durability, the efficiency, and you know, we there's definitely a whole range of possibilities to better employ kind of the. Uh, the unique conditions in Canada uh, to drive some of the, some of that work, and then that'll have benefits, obviously, uh, for for northern communities um, if that that's taking place. Uh, the, the EV side is a little bit out of uh, scope for me. I mean, obviously, a little bit more focused on the upstream and, and downstream. But in, in general terms, I you know I I, uh, I concur with uh, you in terms of uh, opportunities on that front. Yeah. And just thinking in, in terms of like, you know, whether or not the, the North's full potential, right, for innovation in this whole space is being utilized. Um, a lot of our conversation so far has been on, you know, how then we kind of connect, uh, connect the North to the rest of Canada through um, supply chains, et cetera, even infrastructure. Um, but I want to maybe come back to one of your, um, uh, in your initial conversation and discussion when you were talking about part of the reason that the Mindstone Mobility Initiative um, um, and the task force was created was partly in regard to the, um, the joint action task force task force on critical minerals with the United States. And so, you know, more from, a, I guess, let's say like a global international perspective, I'm wondering if you can address a few things. One is, so because part of this then is how do we then connect the whole, the whole EV supply chain to the rest of the world for can you know, to connect Canada's EV supply chain then to the rest of the world. And so, one question is, um, do you see then this, this joint action task force then um, where then the United States is rather than competition um, is, is, is a collaborator in this space? And I'm thinking also then taking that further, you know, the United States is also an Arctic neighbor of ours um, and Greenland in the North American Arctic is also another Arctic neighbor um, just in, in our own Arctic region and we know that Greenland has an abundance of, of rare earth minerals and I'm wondering if there might be in Canada trying to export its expertise um, and its competitive advantage if there might be something to be said about having this um, Arctic region uh, where we've got Canada trying to also export their rare earths we've got this joint task force uh, uh, collaboration with the United States. I think the United States actually has a separate one with Greenland for critical minerals. And so I'm wondering if there's an opportunity here for, oh, you know, like a, let's say sub-regional, like a North American Arctic regional opportunity to kind of showcase. And also if you're coming back to the ESG discussion you were talking about, um, there's probably no other place in the world that, um, has such high environmental uh, and, 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 and social regulations when it comes to the extraction of minerals in the mining sector, you know, might there be a competitive advantage in, in this in, uh, in, in thinking about the North and the North American Arctic as, as a region to export to the rest of the world? Um, leader, leadership in the whole EV space and critical minerals, yeah. Uh, are my former uh... Associate Deputy Minister, uh, who was was leading this file for a while, he always used to say that you know Canada is a is a mining nation. We've been we've been doing this for um, a long time, uh, and we actually have quite a bit of prowess in in doing it the right way. Um, and so I think there's it's kind of twofold. 
there's the the technical know-how um the mining services the technology that becomes exportable uh, so one of the cool things that's taking place in the sector is looking at abandoned mine sites or mine tailings uh, and finding the critical minerals that are needed for you know the, this new economy um, and pulling them out there. And so that's really uh, it's all, the, the resource is already there. It's about deploying technology. And so you could if you develop that technology in Canada uh, and you can deploy it potentially across the world. So. You're getting environmental remediation, you're increasing production. So those are all benefits and that becomes an exportable, uh, an exportable product for Canada. On the ESG front, you're right. We do have a high, higher standard uh, regulatory process. Um, and I think that's fundamental. And what's actually happening is the Mining Association of Canada developed a towards sustainable mining um, framework that other countries are now starting to adopt because it raises the bar in terms of how you undertake a project um, and ensure that it's done in a way that's environmentally friendly, socially responsible and, and good governance. Um, so other countries are starting to deploy that. Even countries that are have been heavily involved in uh, mining for a long time, like Australia, well, they've adopted the Canadian standard. And that standard is particularly important because one, you know, the demand for these minerals is is it just is sky high. Uh, some of the projections, whether it's from the World Bank or the International Energy Agency, all for the clean tech side of it, it's it's just massive. And so, if we are going to have to increase the supply, we want to make sure that it's being done in the right right way, and we have the standards to to share with others. So, I think there's some opportunity uh, there. Um, you know, with Greenland in particular. Um, you brought up the U.S. aspect in terms of uh, a bit of competition. So there is competition in this space. I think batteries is emblematic of the competition that's occurring, um, obviously, because it's quite important for, uh, you know, long-term uh, you know, economic prosperity and the way that markets are starting to shift. Um, but there is still a lot of opportunity to do things in partnership. We have an integrated market with the U.S., um, and that's reflected in the action plan. And so really we're trying to take the action plan into a new uh, phase with the US where we're doing more of partnership because we have a lot of the same, the same challenges and a lot of this, and the same view on where we wanna go. So that's kind of doing things like joint research. Is there an opportunity to do more research together on batteries that improves the overall efficiency that maybe reduces the need for a, a certain mineral or metal that may be not as abundant relative to something else. Um, you can, you know, you find a solution that of something that's more on the chemistry side that is more accessible or easier to access. And so you're kind of all the better for it. Same thing on that mining value from waste example. Um, there's some interesting work looking at coal. Uh, it's called coal fly ash. So it's kind of this leftover deposit. Well, you know rare earth elements are in that coal fly ash. Can you find a way to extract the rare earths from that? That may not be as um, having this negative environmental impact as if you started a brand new mine site from, from scratch. And so there's these opportunities for collaboration that meet mutual benefit. Um, one other thing we're considering uh, with the U.S. is how do we ensure, you know, a, a framework, whether it's, you know, traceability, so uh, across from the start, 
to the finished product in terms of demonstrating the, you know, those good ESG practices and low carbon intensity that we can then, you know, use as a branding and premium. Um, but we need to do that in tandem with, uh, with our partners, particularly the U S because the market is so, uh, integrated, particularly in something like, uh, in autos. Um, so there's, there's great opportunity there. And because of Canada's longstanding position in this, we have this opportunity to be kind of a leader in that on multiple, multiple tracks and kind of lead the conversation on, uh, best practices and, and where we should go collectively, uh, kind of for mutual, mutual benefit. Um, at the end of the day. Uh, and, and the Arctic is increasingly entering into some of these conversations. Uh, I think uh, as I noted a few times, the kind of the geopolitical considerations around this are, are, uh, are always top of mind. Um, and so the US, uh, the UK, um, we've had some outreach from uh, Scandinavian uh, countries and Denmark in particular, in terms of looking at some uh, opportunities to collaborate and do a bit more, uh, particularly in the Arctic. and also in connection to uh, to Greenland. Um, and so I think you can, when you, when you take that approach, you can find ways to ensure that any outcomes, uh, you know, mutually beneficial uh, in many respects. It might not make complete sense to have a processing facility in Greenland, but if the material is coming, you know, to Canada for processing and with our, uh, you know, with our smelting capacity that runs on say hydropower, so, you know, zero, uh, ESG emission or uh, GHG emissions, then you know those are kind of optimal outcomes uh, that that uh, for everybody that uh, we we could try to pursue a little uh, a little bit more. So lots of lots of opportunities, just uh, lots of moving pieces to kind of bring this all together into uh, you know an overall cohesive strategy. Thank you very much. So broadening the the conversation a little bit, uh, in addition to what we've discussed so far about mindful mobility in the EV sector. Um, how would you say critical minerals development is going in Canada in general, um, including in the Northern Territories and its importance for innovation? Um, I think it's, uh, we've started, there's lots of, lots more work to do. Um, but I think when uh, you kind of get a, a handle on all the work that's being done in this space, uh, Canada is, is making great strides. Um, so I'll use uh, the example of a uh, first cobalt, which is in kind of situated a bit more in northern Ontario. Um, they're developing a, a cobalt processing facility that's going to feed the EV market. So the government provided some seed funding there. You have the, the Nachalacho project. Um, there's a number of projects happening uh, kind of in Quebec that are starting to develop. And all this, all of this is positive in the sense that it kind of puts Canada on the map, shows that we can develop these things. And when we kind of take that and map some of the opportunities and potential in the north, um, that just kind of adds some further momentum. And so now it's really about kind of making sure that we have a, you know, a cohesive approach that kind of addresses all the particular uh, challenges associated with some of the, the, the overall project development getting that in place and then we'll be able to you know uh take another leap forward in terms of uh, moving uh into you know greater production which will then have all those uh those benefits in terms of regional economic development uh particularly in the, those northern remote uh and indigenous communities so uh we're, we're making strides um i think um there'll be more uh, positive announcements in, in the near future 
but there's still kind of a ton of work to do. And I think it's also really important to just consider the timeline here. Like this isn't something that we're going to achieve, you know, in you know, one to two years, maybe even five. This is kind of like a, a longer term strategy. We're we're talking all the way, you know, you know, 10, 15 years plus. Um, but we need to kind of continue the momentum and, and continue to grow it because um, uh, it, it won't happen overnight. These are large scale industrial projects that need to be done the right way. And um, uh, so that, that will that will take time. So I'm, I'm just looking at the clock and I'm conscious of your time here. So I just wanted to ask you one final question. Basically, is there anything else you think our audience should know about mines mobility or the critical or critical minerals development in Canada uh, that we haven't mentioned thus far in the conversation? Um, I'm trying to think of anything that uh, comes to mind. Um, I think one thing I, I might have uh, forgotten uh, was that uh, we have a critical minerals list. Um, so that's a critical mineral list for Canada. Um, I can't remember if I, I noted it, but it has 31 minerals on it. It was announced by uh, Minister O'Regan at the Prospectors and Developers Association conference in the, in the spring. Um, that list was put together in consultations with provinces and ter territories and kind of reflects, you know, the unique deposits that may exist in different parts of the country. Um, and so that that's kind of a, that was a key piece for us in terms of demonstrating to others that this is what Canada has. This is what's important to us in terms of development. Um, and that kind of encourages, you know, investment both domestically, but also internationally, just given the, the capital needs of this, for this are quite high. Uh, and so that I think that that's one thing um, I just wanted to mention. And coming out of that, we're really trying to, you know, zero in on the supply chains of, of greatest need for Canada, where Canada has specific opportunities. So that's EVs. You know, including the batteries, including the traction motors, including those parts, it's semiconductors, um, uh, which are important for EVs uh, right now, uh, particularly given some of the supply constraints there that are having impact on the auto sector. Well, we have all the materials in Canada that you need to make those semiconductors. Um, and it's also things like small modular reactors, it's wind turbines, all the materials you need for those. Um, that if we can kind of build those supply chains in Canada, um, they'll have a whole range of benefits uh, across the board. So um, the strategy is still coming together, but I wanted to add those those two uh, those kind of two components, the list and uh, some of the areas where we're kind of zeroing in and focusing a bit more to kind of build up the, uh, the upstream and midstream capacity to be the material suppliers and connect those supply chains. Well, great, Andrew. We uh, just want to thank you again for taking the time to speak to us today. This was a really interesting conversation. Oh no, my pleasure. Uh, any any time, and uh, happy to for any follow ups uh, in the future if you need them. For sure, Jessica, do you have any final comments or anything? Um, no, I just want to thank you very much, Andrew, for coming. Is there maybe one one question? Um, I know we have the initiative that's been announced, and there's will the strategy then be um, expanded upon? Um, will there be a specific document that? it'd be possible to refer to or that Canada will use to talk to other countries about this is our initiative and our strategy. So we're not at a point yet where we have like a public facing document. That's what we're, we're working towards. We have to go through some uh, you know, internal processes to get the right uh, supports and uh, blessings, if you will. Um, so hopefully we'll have that out maybe in the 
we'll see what transpires in terms of democratic events. Um, but uh, hopefully in the, the mid, mid-fall range, we'll have a bit more to put out publicly on, on that. Well, thank you so much. Bye. Take care.